It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. We're doing it again. Another episode. We back and I know that you missed us. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why we have been a bit off cadence, out of rhythm. Our staccata has been a little stale over the last two and a half. Let's just say like 23 days. But trust and believe we are good. How are you, Julie? I'm wonderful. I want to say awesome. thank you to all of our friends out there in Podland who have been encouraging us to get back to our regular cadence. And yeah. thank you to my pod partner for all of your patience as I've been going through a big transition transition in my professional life. I don't know if you remember, but about, I guess about six weeks ago, yeah. our leader at Disability Solutions decided to take early retirement. And officially this week, I have taken the helm. So my title is now Executive Director of Disability Solutions. So, you know, that's interesting because you were my guest last week on Sirius XM and we could have made that announcement like for a couple of million people, but shout out to you uh, for just you know, showing the organization that you are an individual that they can trust with this responsibility, with this brand, with the mission. They can trust you with PL. They can trust you with building and inspiring your team. It says an awful lot that she felt it time enough where she could go out into retirement and turn it over to you. And succession planning is never an easy decision. So shout out to you. Shout out to you. Shout out to the entire team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. We're very, very excited. But nonetheless, my passion around Crazy and the King and continuing this work and this messaging that we're doing is not lessened. It, it, it takes no kind of anything away from what I feel like we have here and we're growing. So thanks again to everyone for being patient as we get back on track and we prep for 2020 and some great fun here with Crazy and the King. Yeah, man. Uh, and it looks like you you want to start in my backyard with uh, issue number one. Yeah. So I, I saw this a couple of days ago and it was Baltimore is going to treat racism as a public health issue. Mm. Not Baltimore County, but one of the other. Help me here. Anne Arundel County. Oh, shit. I'm not going to help you. I want you to do that again. I want you to. <laughs> I want you to to try that one more time. I want people to hear you try that one more time. Now, by the way, everyone, it is spelled uh, A-N-N-E-A-R-U-N-D-E-L. Julie, try it one more time. Anne Arundel. You got it. It's Anne Arundel County. (laughs) Anne Arundel County. Yes. Had the highest percentage and total of uh, incidences of hate crime in the last year. Baltimore County was was closely behind at 76 incidences and Montgomery County at 76 as well. So I don't know where Montgomery County is, but those two being, I think, Baltimore proper at least. Yeah. uh, Correct me me if I'm wrong, uh, are definitely identifying that there's an increase, what the cost has been to that increase, and 
and what and and where those things are happening. So a good portion are happening at private residences, at schools. They've had some nooses in high schools and in elementary schools. Kind of so many of the things that we you and I are talking about on a regular basis. And this county has decided to address it as a public health issue. Yeah, let me and let me put it in perspective. There's 23 counties here in Maryland, and so really what Julie was saying is accurate according to the report. And for all of you who are out there, um, you can get online. The report is titled State of American 2018 Hate Bias Report, State of Maryland 2018 Hate Bias Report. There are 23 counties here in the state of Maryland. And really what Julie highlighted were the four that had the largest percentage, uh, Anne Arundel County, Baltimore, Montgomery, and Howard. And to your question of where is Montgomery, Montgomery County is down closer to Washington, D.C. Howard County would be up between, it would actually be almost halfway between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore City, just to put it in a geographical context. Perfect. No, I don't know how I feel. Is it a public health issue? Is that the right kind of way to tackle it? But we know that there's an epidemic of emboldened racist behavior and empowerment all over the world that's been happening over the last three years. But just a couple of examples from this last month where we've had a lot of European football matches canceled, rescheduled, delayed with some pretty scary video coming out of very aggressive racist chants, taunts, and even behavior, not just by fans, but by rival teams. And also this week, a German town, actually Dresden, Germany, declared a Nazi emergency, which is the exact same level as what Germany has declared in terms of a climate emergency, that it is a real and present danger to the ongoing of democracy in that society. What do you think about that, Torn? Is Is it a public health issue? Is that the right kind of umbrella to stick it under? Yeah, I don't know if um, public health is is where it goes. However, I'm not, um, I don't want to make a big deal. L- let me say it a different way. I'm glad that he finds it important enough um, to make it an issue. And, and so wherever he has put it in order for it to be highlighted, that to me is, is an absolute win. And so for Stuart Pittman, you know, to raise issue, uh, to call out, because again, here I am, I'm right here in the state. Did not even know that our state produced a report like this. Uh, and it looks like they've been producing this report for quite some time. Uh, if one lis- listens to the uh, link, which we will put in the show notes, you will see that other states or, or other counties uh, or both are producing reports such as this. So I just appreciate that someone here in, in Maryland decided that we're not about to allow something to get out of hand totally. Now, granted, you know, I think if I heard correctly, um, the numbers have gone up over the last three years. And I think this most recent year, there was something like 70 or so incidents. And, you know, it's not a terrible amount of incidents, but the bottom line is if you are caught up in one of them, it's a terrible event for you. And so I don't know if it should be under a health issue, but I'm just glad it's somewhere and it's on the radar of more than just you and I. I think it's a great way to start being able to allocate funding Uh for addressing a a systemic issue at the county level or the city level. So I I think that's, maybe it's not unique, but it seems unique to me. And I'm definitely glad that they're taking action. In terms of looking at that report, Torin, that you shared with me is, you know, Black females are actually the highest rate of of victims in this report. and, And white males are the highest offenders reported in this Maryland DACA report. 
And I think what I want to kind of reiterate when I, I think about it as public health, there's a broad misconception about what public health can mean and how it is used and how much oversight it has into different parts of community living. And what I don't want to see happen is that racist behavior and racism in general become stereotyped as mental health disabilities. They're not covered as a mental health issue in the DSM. And most studies find that people who commit race, hate-based crimes. Most people who commit hate-based crimes are not mentally ill at the time of the commission of the crime. And so I think that would be my only caution is just the messaging from the county about exactly what does that mean when we're talking about how this is a public health concern and how those dollars are going to be used to help combat and protect uh, victims who are being targeted in Baltimore City. Yeah. And- and um, one of the things that I'll share with you, Julie, um, and this is a bit apples to oranges, but it's still in the same, you know, fruit box, if you will. And on the federal level, uh, they have been um, pushing to get an anti-lynching bill passed. Uh, they have probably had somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 different attempts at trying to get a anti-lynching bill passed. And it finally passed in the Senate. I don't know exactly when, but it was sometime within, let's just say 2019 to be safe. Uh, it, it passed in the Senate sometime in 2019, it has yet to be brought to the floor uh, in Congress yet to be brought to the floor in Congress. Now, I just want people to think about that for just a moment. We do not have an anti-lynching bill, a federal anti-lynching bill. And so when I say that I appreciate that he has placed it on the radar of a many, I mean that sincerely. And because I'm not I'm not classifying when you look at the the report and look at the various hate crimes, you have the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Hate Crime Prevention Act and for any Anyone who knows history, you know what happened to Matthew Shepard. I believe that was out in Colorado. Uh, Wyoming. Wyoming, thank you. Uh, I knew it was out that way. And James Byrd was down in Texas where they dragged him behind a pickup truck and dismembered his body. You have a number of different hate crime laws that are on the books, but we still need to have one that is dealing, one, directly with lynching, and two, all of them need to be strengthened and made stronger so that the people that are perpetrating these crimes are not allowed to come back to our workplaces. It infuriates me that I know folks are out there doing hateful things and then sitting next to people like you and I inside of cubicles Mm -hmm. all around this country. And we need to make sure that those folks pay a very steep price when they are caught and brought to justice. Absolutely right. And it actually astounds me that the anti-lynching bill, which was uh, sponsored by uh, Senator Kamala Harris, did pass in February out of the Senate, but has not been taken up by the House of Representatives. That actually, I and I looked at it because I thought maybe you had it backwards because I would have thought it would have come out of the House and been dead in the Senate. But you're absolutely right. It is still sitting, waiting for the House to take it up. And we need to find out why. It's the very least that we can do to start taking some action towards stuffing racism back down. I, I hate that I even have to think about how it exists in a way that I didn't understand when it was more quiet. And now that it's so overt and people are so empowered, we really have to start treating it at every level 
in our companies, in our states, and in our our federal legislation. So thanks for bringing that up too. Yeah, well, I can answer, you know, in part why, and I'll paraphrase it. And this is the power of listening to, uh, you know, a different news source, a different information source. And and so on Joe Madison's show, uh, Joe Madison is on Sirius XM channel 126, where I am, uh, and certainly no not necessarily a plug, but literally he had uh, the two congressmen. uh, I can't remember their names, uh, but they were on last week and they talked about why this bill has not come to the floor in Congress and flat out paraphrasing it. It comes down to white individuals that are in charge that are administratively playing footsie. How about that? You know, just some old sucker stuff, you know, just, you know, I mean, honestly, not not being as aggressive as you and I are right now on this podcast, literally a matter of semantics and process and bullshit. And that's just what it comes down to. And they have not brought it up for the proper, you know, notation placed on record and then being able to brought to the, it's a procedural thing. And so I'm just simply saying for all of us that are listening, you know, again, this is not an attack on any of the political parties. This is an attack on hate. This is an attack on people committing hate and then coming back to our workplaces. I don't want them next to me. Like, seriously, I don't want people that have that type of spirit. Um, I, I just don't want them next to me. So I think that we should be doing everything that we can to fortify, root out these hateful individuals, put them in a place where uh, they are separated from the rest of us good people. Yeah. Uh, did you did you happen to hear this week, Torin, um, President Obama talking about uh, wokeness and, and cancel culture and how progressives and Democrats need to not be such purists when we're holding people to account for their behavior? And it always astounds me when I listen to him and the, the words that he uses that help me to understand things in a different way. But when you said that, I don't think I, I want a I 100% agree with you. I don't want to sit next to those people. I don't want to work with them. I don't want to be engaged with them in any way whatsoever. And I think that that is enough for companies to take action. And I don't believe that holding people to the fire and having not a purity standard because everyone makes mistakes, but at least a bare minimum of basic, decent humanity as as a standard for our country. I don't know if you caught that. It was, it was not in our, our comments or our planned discussion, but it just kind of came up when you said it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't catch it. I heard, you know, clips of the uh, conversation uh, and it was really in passing. Uh, so I can't comment on it because I didn't hear it. Um, but I just think that, you know, sometimes folks are, you know, paralytic, you know, we, and I often say this, Julie, we, you know, we'll, we'll write, we'll do white papers and charts mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll do research and, you know, we'll do all of these things, you know, they, they feel good. They make us feel like we're making progress. But in the end, I don't believe that we necessarily need all of that. I just feel like, you know, if somebody is causing, you know, uh, an act against me, an act of aggression against me and they yell out the N word or they call me some other racial slur or 
homophobic slur or anything else that is derogatory in that way, then you know exactly what you are doing. You know, and 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 is there a difference? I want to say that there's a difference, uh, and I don't want to litigate that in this conversation. But I think that you know, it, just like with Me Too and Times Up, I think that there certainly is a bit of discretion that that should be. Um, taken into consideration when these crimes are placed up um, and the more egregious the crime and and that attachment of language and symbolism that suggests that it has something to do with hate, then I think the more the severe the punishment should be, plain and simple. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that kind of sets, sets us up nicely for uh, a quick transition into your topic or your story for this week. Yeah. So um, diversity has become a booming business. So where are the results? That actually is the headline of the Time piece. You can find it uh, at time.com. It came out uh, October 21st, if I'm not mistaken. And Julie, I actually loved this read because it opened with a reminder of the Gucci misstep um, when they put the sweater up uh, with the blackface, if if I'm not mistaken. And, And then it talked about a couple of other luxury designers and certainly not to call out only the luxury designers because the article could have spent the first two paragraphs calling out a variety of companies. Uh, But it was, it was familiar and I loved it because they opened with something that was familiar. And then it went on to talk about the familiar course of action that corporate leaders and spoke spokespersons take where they will apologize and then they will make a special hire of like a diversity czar or some big time consultant named Torin Ellis or Julie Sowash or, um, you know, we're going to make some internal change. Oh, the bias training. You got to get the bias training in, Julie. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be it just it's not official if we don't get the bias training in. Uh, and then probably one or two other things. And it, it really was a great article. And I'm I'm tongue in cheek in it because it really is spot on. It talks about March in 2018 when uh, Indeed reported a huge surge in postings for DNI related professionals of all stripes. Um, and then if you read a little bit more, Julie, you learned that in 2003, there was a professor from MIT uh, I believe his name is Thomas Kokan, uh, spelled K-O-C-H-A-N. Thomas Kokan noted that companies were spending $8 billion a year on diversity efforts. Now, I'm going to stop right there for just a minute, because really what I want is for that number to sink in. And I want it to sink in from a variety of different angles. Number one, companies. It didn't say 100 companies. It didn't say 1,000 companies. It didn't say one million companies. It just said companies. And it also said eight billion dollars. So if it would have said that that was only the Fortune 500, I would have said, wow, they are investing an awful lot. But because it said companies, I'm like, well, eight billion dollars is a lot of money. But it's not. But then it is. Yeah, no. Does that it, make sense? I mean, it, it's. You're spot on. The thing is, is that we are constantly chasing in diversity, I think, as companies, the bright, shiny object. So right now, the bright, shiny object is unconscious bias training. Does it have a benefit? Yeah, it absolutely does. 
but is it the only thing that matters? And you and I have talked about this a million times. If all you're doing is chasing some PR, if all you're doing is these kind of bright, shiny object activities that get you an award or get you a little recognition on in the news or, you know, are reactionary to your screw up, then we're not going to make progress. And the numbers are really, really clear. I, I think this article is excellent. It should be read by every diversity professional just to give even more teeth to the argument of why the chief diversity officer, why the CEO need to be more engaged and committed to outcomes. If you're not hiring, if you're not progressing, if you're not promoting, then all of the other things are just sugarcoating. And they're not going to change anything. No, they're not. And let me tell you, um, it is a great article over on Time. And the author of the article is Pamela Newkirk. Uh, and Pamela Newkirk, if you're unfamiliar with her, she wrote a book uh, titled Diversity, Inc., The Failed Promise of a Billion Dollar Business. And so I loved the article because, in, in effect, it really says whole lot of talk, a lot less results. And I... When I see that, when I hear that, when I think about that, when I, you know, when I consider, Julie, how I go to sleep and rise up every single day trying to figure out how to creatively attack this work through the the work that I do and, and to be a compliment to the work that other people are doing, because I most certainly want to see other folks shine and, and get results because none of us can do this work by ourselves. But But when I think about this all talk, less results, I, I'm reminded of a line from the book, how to win friends and influence people. And, and in that line, it says the market doesn't pay for your efforts. It pays for your results. And so what we are seeing is a, a whole lot of diversity fatigue. We are seeing a great deal of, of whites claiming disenfranchisement. I don't know how many of you have read articles, have been involved in conversations, have Listen to podcasts and news broadcasters and, uh, you know, politicians that are, are, are questioning the validity, the value of diversity and inclusion. I can't tell you, you know, how many times I have been in proximity and I don't want to say directly or, but, but, but directly and indirectly in proximity to people that have challenged why we are doing this work. And now, you know, we just have a great deal of individuals questioning both black, white, Muslim, you know, Protestant, Catholic, Baptist, um, you know, from from Asia, from India, from China, from Africa. I mean, we got people of all stripes asking us, like, why are you all doing this? And not because they don't see the value, because they're tired. And it's unfortunate. But I got to tell you, Julie, this is not the time for us to pause. Like I say, we got to do more. We cannot pause. We cannot retreat. We can't stand still. We have to continue to push to do more. And this is not about doing so at the expense of, of, of others. This is not a zero sum game. This is trying to figure out how do we do inclusion the way that inclusion is supposed to be done? How do we do it at all levels of organization, all sizes of organization, all geography, how do we do this work of inclusion the way that inclusion is supposed to be done? This article, actually, you talk about diversity fatigue, and I know you and I have talked about that some this year. 
especially when I've had some struggles of my own, this article actually really excited me uh, and it felt empowering because I'm starting to see come to life a much stronger movement, especially in the disability community, that if you don't have outcomes, if you're not delivering, then don't talk about it. Then let's take away these bright, shiny objects. And people are becoming more aware. And articles like this create more awareness that we aren't going to accept the status quo anymore, that your PR activities, that your boards um, of, of diversity that have no power, your CDOs that have no power aren't going to stand because we're looking at the data and the data is telling us a completely different story than your marketing department. A different, a different story. And, and all of the stories are different. And that's the beauty of doing the work. And if you are authentically doing the work, then you will you will uncover the difference in the story and you will find and ferret out. You will be forced to, to find ways to marry those stories together, to find the transitory phrases or transitory processes that brings those stories together. And how is it that I can complement the work that is being done over in that business unit or in that department? How is it that because of what we uncovered over here, we know that if we if we just if we take some time with it, if we if we really sit with that information uh, and, and be genuine about it, we can we can deposit it over in this business unit uh, down here uh, you, you, because we know that they can do something with it better than we can up and over here. I, I just feel like, you know, the beautiful the beauty in this work is is how the light goes off for individuals when they see the result. Um, and, 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 and Julie, we've talked to a number of individuals, companies, you know, far and wide. We've done it here in the States as well as internationally. Both of us have. And, and we know what it's like when, when they mm-hmm. see that light go off. Um, I think about Cyrus Mary. He's, he's quoted in the article. He's a civil rights lawyer who, uh, litigated some cases against Coca-Cola in Texaco. And, and really what he says is that companies, and we know this, but companies need to analyze metrics related to hiring, to pay, to promotions, to bonuses along racial and gender lines, and detecting uh, those patterns of, of bias. I think about the incredible conversation we had with Karen Rowland, VP of HR from Synchrony last Sunday on my show, I think about one of the things that Karen said. Karen said, we are looking at people with disabilities to make sure that they are matriculating and growing in the organization. This is synchrony, that they are matriculating and growing in the organization equal to their counterparts without a disability. Now, that's a powerful statement. And I don't know if that's a one to one growth. What it says to me is they're paying attention to it. That's what it says to me. What it says to me is they're not allowing people with disabilities to not be promoted and are good and worthy of promotion for some extended period of time. You know, that 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 audience is sitting inside of synchrony for two, three, five years beyond their, quote, shelf date Mm -hmm. before they are being recognized for for the value that they bring. And so I agree with you. I agree with Cyrus Mary, that civil rights lawyer. I agree with both of us, all of us. We just should be looking for the difference of story 
And how do we weave that inside of our organization so that we can do better? Yep. It's all in the data. So you ready for some name drops? Yeah, I absolutely am. And I'm going to go first. Um, I just put her out there and I want to just reinforce. I really appreciate you, Karen. Roland, I'm speaking as if you are right here with us on the podcast because in spirit you are. Uh, but I appreciate you, Karen Roland, uh, from Synchrony Financial for closing out uh, the month of October with me on Sirius XM for being courageous enough to talk about the work that the organization is doing uh, around people with disabilities. My second shout out is to Lisa Balzer and to Diane Sharp, uh, two incredible women down in Atlanta, Georgia. They have launched a website. Uh, titled New and Approved. Actually, the agency is titled New and Approved. Their website is wearenewandimproved.com. Wearenewandimproved.com. If you're looking for two incredible people that can help you with your messaging, your branding, uh, your advertising, check out wearenewandimproved.com. Awesome. Awesome. And my shout out or my name drops this week are to... Democratic candidates, Pete Buttigieg, Cory Booker, and Bernie Sanders, who are the only candidates and campaigns who have put out disability-focused policy on their platforms. I know especially Mayor Pete has focused on having staff that are people with disabilities and communicating that clearly to us uh, about our value and importance in both policy, but also an engagement uh, this campaign season. So shout out to those three guys and the people that are working for them to start recognizing the largest voting block in the country. Congratulations to you again on the promotion to executive director's position uh, with the organization and the team. Any big plans for the week? Uh, actually, I am in Connecticut this week. We are bringing the whole team together to plan for how we grow and where we go in 2020. So shout out to the whole disability solutions team. And then the week after that, I am headed to RecruitCon in Nashville, where I will be doing a, a hack on how to get started hiring people with disabilities in your company. How about you? For me, I'm going to be a Disrupt HR DC. Nice. Check it. And listen, you already know the format for Disrupt HR. And I got to tell you, Julie, I'm cool with a mic like I'm all right behind the microphone. But the hardest presentation for me, bar none, was Disrupt HR. It's five minutes, 20 slides. And you would think that that would just be a walk in the park. And it wasn't. However, this year when I do it and it's going to be. Uh, Wednesday in Fairfax. You can go to my LinkedIn page or you can go to Disrupt HRDC and check it out. I'm not even practicing. Like straight up 20 slides off the dome. I'm going to treat this thing like I'm in the booth. And uh, let's just make sure we talk about that next week to see, <laughs> <laughs> to see how, how this extemporaneous delivery goes off. We flying straight off the dome. We're going to give them five minutes of funk. I'm thinking all straight uh, run, run. Is that run DMC? Five minutes of funk. I think that's I think that's run DMC <laughs> from the 80s. Five minutes of funk. And then and then this this uh, Sunday on Sirius XM, uh, if you have it in your vehicle, I want you to tune in. We're going to be talking to Tim Ryan, CEO of PricewaterhouseCoopers. If you ever thought that I wasn't serious about this work, you played yourself. All right, let's do it.
So we close reminding each and every one of you that you are part of our digital tribe. And Julie and I simply want you to find your voice inside of your respective workplace. We're not challenging you to be like us. We're challenging you to be more like you, to be a better you. I often say the ROI of DNI is greater humanity. Catch me on Sirius XM channel 126 next Sunday at 1 p.m. Kid is ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy and the King. I'm Julie Sowash with my co-host, Torin Ellis. Follow us on social media, but you can also now find Crazy and the King on Facebook at our website, crazyandtheking.com, or follow our hashtag like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cell straight out of Baltimore. And if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.